Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Monday edition of The Yard. Just got back home from Columbia, South Carolina. It's about 3 a.m. And if you thought that I was going to go cover the ball game and then not give you guys a, a Monday morning Boneyard, then you don't know me very well. Been thinking about the show the whole way back. A lot to say, a lot to discuss. It was a good weekend, could have been a great weekend. I think it's possible for us to be happy with the series win, but also be disappointed we didn't get the sweep. I think both of those things are very reasonable feelings for Mississippi State fans. And that's not to say that we're going to just kind of crap all over the weekend because there were many people a month, six weeks ago, thought we were going to be lucky to go over there and win the series. And we did. There were a lot of people that thought, okay, once we get in the month of April, once they announced that whole thing about the NCAA regional host sites being announced the week of May 10th, people thought, oh, we might be in trouble. We're not. We've navigated the most difficult part of our schedule and come out the other side of this thing relatively unscathed. One of the best teams in the country. We are an elite baseball team. We are an elite baseball program. We're having a special season. Now, Does that special season end with something incredibly memorable? That remains to be seen. But we're doing the things that we need to do to set that possibility in motion. That includes going to South Carolina and taking two. And you saw today, I guess technically yesterday now, you saw, you know, listen, they've got some arms in the bullpen too. And I told you guys on Friday's show, they got a good bullpen. They're not great. They're not on Miss. And they weren't. And their bullpen effectively won the game for them today. But at the end of the day, you know, we didn't get the big hit. We let the bases loaded three times. We're going to break down the weekend, break down the games, look around the SEC, see who did well, see who didn't do well, kind of look ahead and forecast uh, what's coming up. But uh, Mississippi State goes to Columbia and wins the series. And uh, I think we can feel good about that part of it. I really do. I, I think we look back in hindsight – And we probably have made life a little more difficult for ourselves in the SEC race. If we had won today, I think we would look back in hindsight and say, you know what? Yeah, we kind of won that thing 
that Sunday at South Carolina. There were so many things against us today. It was it was ridiculous. I mean, it really was. I mean, that, number one, they had some good arms. We had uh, Scott Klein behind the plate. And listen, he's got a pretty wide strike zone, but he's very inconsistent. And it was really for both teams. But it seemed like we kind of got on the backside of this thing with him. And, of course, Scott Foxhall gets ejected. Uh, it was – it's crazy. And if you know anything about Fox, you understand he's a competitor, but he's not a guy that goes and gets in people's faces. And what, what happened uh, during that, that situation there was very unfortunate. And one of the things that I will say – and, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm big on gamesmanship, I am – but not jawing back and forth with umpires, especially as players. You let the coach handle that. You let Coach Lamonis handle that. You do. And there were some situations, you know, there were some hecklers in the crowd. And I just, you know, I think you got to be above that sort of stuff. I really do. I think when you acknowledge it, you're kind of letting people know that they're getting in your heads a little bit. And so uh, I thought that Houston Harding showed some really good toughness there. There was a time there he was pretty emotional too and kind of jawing back and forth with Scott Klein and – that's not going to get you any calls. It's just human nature. You're not going to get the benefit of the doubt when you have kind of chatted to umpire a little bit. But uh, I thought he buckled down and got us out of the jam there and kind of, you know, really navigated a difficult situation because that was a moment in the ball game right there that South Carolina could have really taken charge. But they didn't. We got out of that thing with the lead. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the weekend it was. And it, it is so difficult to – you know, when you win the first two games, they're almost overshadowed by the Sunday loss because you start lamenting and saying, you know what, man, we should have we should have swept this thing. And you know what, we should have. You know, but we didn't. But that doesn't mean we didn't go up there and take care of business, you know. And, and really, I think if most of us kind of felt beginning of the week, it's like, you know what, if we can go out there and get two of three on the road, that's a pretty big deal. It keeps us in the race. And then we've got Missouri coming in this week fresh off another sweep and then we go to Alabama and I just firmly believe this team with leadership that we have heading over to Tuscaloosa we'll do what needs to be done over there I just don't think T.A. and Rowdy Jordan are going to let us go to Tuscaloosa and lay an egg I just I don't see it that way so I want a couple things I want to say too before we kind of get deep into the show I really like Founders Park at South Carolina I mean, it is a really, really nice park. It's not Dirty Noble Field. It's my first time going. You know, it's one of the things you hear a lot about is, well, you know, South Carolina's this. But I'll tell you, they do a nice job there. It is a tremendous facility. It's not on campus. It's a little bit off campus a little bit there. It's not too far removed from the South Carolina campus. But uh, they've done a good job there. It is a little minor leaguey. You know what I'm saying? It looks a little bit like Trustmark Park. You know, it's kind of dug down into a bowl and – it's got those, uh, you know, great chairbacks, you know, pretty much all the way down the line there. But uh, it's a great facility. I would say, and I said it on Twitter too, it's the number two facility in the SEC. I know a lot of people say, oh, you know, bomb, bomb, bomb. You know, listen, bomb might be second after the renovation. But, you know, places like Bomb Stadium and Alex Box really kind of get by on atmosphere. And what I mean by that is, you know, is it, are they two of the top three atmospheres in college baseball and certainly in SEC? Yeah, I think so. I don't think that covers up a few things that are maybe a little bit inadequate uh, from a stadium standpoint. And so those game day atmospheres, those SEC weekends, those regionals, they're great. They really are. But it doesn't make those facilities that much better. It's a tribute to those fan bases that they make it such a difficult place to play. 
But I don't. I just don't think Alex Box or Bomb Stadium or even University Stadium at Ole Miss are on par with Duty Noble Field or Founders Park. I, I think everybody else is kind of playing for third, to be honest with you. And uh, people of South Carolina were great. Uh, of course, there's a few hecklers in the stands, that sort of stuff. But, I mean, I, I thought for the most part South Carolina people had a lot of respect for Mississippi State and a lot of respect for Ryan Polk and Duty Noble Field. They're very knowledgeable baseball fans. And, uh, you know, tremendous press box, too. I would say probably the best baseball press box I have been to outside of Omaha. I mean, it is really, really nice. Got a couple of dedicated bathrooms, which is always great. We're right off the uh, radio booth right there. I mean, so I could see Big Big E and Jim Ellis and Coach Polk. And so it, it was a really, really nice facility and a really nice experience. And if you get the chance to go, I would encourage you to go. I had a chance to meet some uh, Boneyard listeners there. I had lunch with some uh, with Mr. Kemp and his wife uh, Saturday. And I had met my friend James, messaged me and said, Hey, Steve, I'm at the ball game. Would love to come down if you come down so we could uh, shake hands, say hello. Happy to do it, man. And so, a lot of Bulldogs there, and there was some, you know, Bulldogs that were there were loud. And so, I, I know the, the team appreciates your support. I certainly appreciate your support. And I know all those Bulldogs that couldn't make the game appreciate your support as well, because that, that always means a lot to me. Like, when we, we played Long Beach State, I mean, I, I do my best to go to every game home and away, but Long Beach State last year was just a bit much for me. And I remember seeing those Bulldog fans on TV sitting right behind home plate cheering for the dogs, and you know, they were, they were cheering for me. They were cheering for you. They were doing their part for the Mississippi State family. And so I really appreciate those, those fans that go to those road games. And uh, met Roy Shelton uh, from Raleigh, North Carolina. Raleigh had come down for the Friday game and had a chance to meet with him. And so there's so many Bulldogs I know that look forward to when Mississippi State comes to their area so they can go watch them play in person. And it's important for everybody. It's not just about the fan experience. I can tell you those baseball parents really appreciate the fact that you guys show up and pull for our team, cheer for their kids. It's a, it's a big, big thing. And it's not one of those things we should ever take for granted. I mean, it really isn't. And so all you Carolina dogs, it turned out, thank you on behalf of the rest of the Mississippi State family. Thank you very, very, very much. Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of this show. You guys know them well. You should. When you come to town, go by and check them out. Have the spring rolls. They'll make you and everybody around you better looking. And you can get a great restaurant-quality hamburger. The Bulldog is the straight-ahead rock-and-roll hamburger. I mean, that's you know, if you just want to go in there and say, hey, let's give me a great cheeseburger, that's exactly what you order. But if you want to switch it up a little bit and get a little more exotic, I'm in favor of that. You can get the smokehouse. You can get the pimentology, add bacon. You don't have to have the bacon. I would encourage you to get that extra protein. You can get the mission. I get the pico de gallo on the side when I get it. Not a big fan of onions, as I told you guys before. But they've got a lot of things to choose from. The new full of bologna burger is very, very good. I haven't tried it yet, but I've had many of you reach out to me and say, hey, Steve, I tried it. It is, it is a lot of meal. I mean, it is a lot of hamburger for sure. Two great locations operating right now, right here on University Drive and Start Vegas and on Gloucester Street in Tupelo. And coming soon. Coming soon in the old Mugshots location uh, right there in the Madison Ridgeland area. Going to have a little bit of start. We'll come into your neck of the woods. And uh, a lot of people have been, shared with me how excited they are because it was kind of a treat to come up here on game day. And uh, the kids want to go to Bulldog Burger Company. But now you're going to get to do it right there in your backyard. It's going to be great. I'm sure the crowds are going to be tremendous. But it's going to be great management there too. Ian Few is going down there. Big fan of Ian. He's a great guy. Does a great job. Look forward to you guys having that opportunity. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. 
All right, so let's jump into the baseball weekend that was Mississippi State style here. And, uh, you know, really we got as good a start, I think, as we could possibly hope on Friday. I think that's how everybody felt. You know, the big concern going in was how was our starting pitching going to perform? We all felt like that was the key. We knew our bullpen would match up, but their home run hitting team kind of previewed that on Friday. I mean, we, we figured they would get some balls out of the yard. They did. But we limited a lot of that, and and just an outstanding ball game on Friday to really set the tone for the rest of the weekend. We needed Christian McLeod to bounce back. He absolutely did, I believe, perhaps uh, the best outing of his career. I mean, you know, one of the things that I thought was real impressive, too, is there a lot of times when uh, Christian kind of faces some adversity, hadn't been able to kind of push through. I thought he did a great job of that on Friday. When he had a little bit of a hiccup there, rather than kind of uh, letting that get the better of him, he kind of you know, powered on through that and extended his outing and, and just had a wonderful, wonderful ball game. And he also had uh, a, you know some offensive support. And one of those things, too, I think that really helps those guys is before you even get out of the dugout and go throw a pitch, you've already got a lead. And that's exactly what State did. And I asked Chris Lamonis, you know, how they were able to get such a good start. He goes, yeah, well, routing and T.A., uh, bat first and uh, Roddy goes out there second pitch of the ball game rips a single into left center and then we go to we go to go, we advance on the wild pitch <clears throat> TA singles and then Cam James singles and drives in a run it's a one up ball game Hancock puts a ball in play it is a double play but we do get the second run home and so it's a two up ball game before McLeod even toes the rubber he goes out there immediately gets a one two three inning we come back in the second Get a couple things going late, put together a two-out rally, but uh, just couldn't push that run across. Had a runner in scoring position uh, with two outs. Right, he couldn't get it done. And then C-Mac goes back out there again, a one-two-three inning. Really quick inning, too. Uh, State goes back out again. We get a one-out base runner, can't do anything with that, kind of nursing that 2 nothing lead along. Bottom of the third, they finally get a hit. Malone gets a single, and then we get the walk. And this is the hiccup I'm talking about. And I know many of you probably felt like I did. I said, well, here we go. Here's where, where Christian will have his moment. And he dials it back in. He gets Wimmer to fly out and gets a K to get out of the inning. And from there, he was absolutely dominant. Now, we go one, two, three in the fourth. And then Christian pitches around the one-out walk there in the four, bottom of four. And then in, in the fifth inning, we're able to put another run across the board. Uh, Rowdy doubles down the line and then goes to third on a wild pitch. And then T.A. singles him in. It's a 3 nothing ball game. And it really felt like we had control of the game there, uh, especially with the way C-Mac was pitching. Three runs seemed like a lot. And it's a 1-2-3 inning, three ground outs. I, I think the whole thing happened on about seven pitches. We go back in top of six. We don't get much going. We do get an op- uh, you know an inning opening single. And then it's a 1-2-3 inning after that. Bottom of six. One, two, three again for McLeod. And this is when I think South Carolina really felt like they were running out of outs. And then we extend the game. This is the big inning. This is the thing that we kind of missed on Sunday is we had the opportunity to put them away, and we did. And it was very much a team effort. You know, a lot of times, you know, you get the the headliners out there doing a couple things, but this is kind of up and down the order here. Uh, Forsyth starts the rally with a first pitch single, then Rowdy walks, and, and you kind of felt like then we were about to tack on some insurance, and then they, they hit T.A. to load the bases with no outs, and then Cam James comes up there with the big hit, the big, big hit, and that's the thing, too. When we, when we have a chance to extend ball game if we have to, Cam goes out there and gets an outside pitch, and rather than pull it and ground that ball to the shortstop or the second baseman for double play, 
He goes with the pitch. The point of contact was great. It's a line drive that gets out into the corner there, clears the bases, and really for all intents and purposes, the game was over. It's 6-0 then, but we weren't done. We weren't done at all because Cam comes around and scores on a wild pitch, and then Cumbus doubles down the line and chasing Scotty DeBrule to make it an 8 nothing ball game. And it just, you know, at this point, you're just thinking, okay, let's just find a way to get through this thing and get in the locker room. And then what happens, bottom of seven, another one, two, three inning. Outstanding effort, absolutely outstanding effort uh, for Christian McLeod. You know, seven and just really got stronger as the game went along. And that really hasn't been his trademark, right? I mean, that – it's when he begins to kind of show some fatigue is when he starts getting hit a little bit. But he was absolutely dominant. I think he made himself a little money. Top of eight, we go out there and tack on another run. And, again, it's the top of the order. Rowdy Jordan walks and then goes to second on a uh, wild pitch. And this is a count, too, where Rowdy kind of worked the count, too. It wasn't like it was a four-pitch walk. He went up there and actually got down 0-1, and it was a 2-2 count. And he uh, had, shows a good eye there. And then T.A. gets a single, drives him in. It's a 9 nothing ball game. And from there, it was pretty much academic. You know, we get an inning out of, uh, I guess it was um, Preston Johnson. Pretty quick inning. They, they barreled up a couple balls, but hit them right at some people. Thought a Tanner Leggett played some good defense for us most of the weekend, too. Top of nine, we don't do much. And then, you know, bottom nine, they uh, we have Casey Hunt in there. And uh, it got a little bit hairy, I guess. Maybe that's the second game. Yeah, we had uh, – yeah, it was Casey Hunt, yeah. And so we walk the first two guys, get a couple of Ks, give up a single, and they hold the runner. And then we get the uh, the play at first to get out of there. So it's a 9 nothing ball game, and I really felt like outside of the ninth inning, it might have been our most complete game. You, know, you hate to end on that note, you know, but you also, too, I mean, it's a chance to get Casey some work. And even if they score a run or two there – you get out of there with a win. But, you know, you want to have that resounding victory. But I just really thought defensively we played exceptionally well. We pitched it exceptionally well. And we had the big hits. We were able to kind of get – we were able to start rallies and then continue rallies because we were able to get some big hits in that ball game. And that's the thing you look at in hindsight and you begin to wonder, okay, is this offense really beginning to wake up? State with 12 hits in the ball game, 12 hits. And I love the fact that we have some killer instinct, you know, when the game, when they were on the ropes, we found a way to finish them. That was a huge part of this deal. So we get into Saturday, and listen, we knew that uh, you know they had kind of changed the rotation up a little bit, and their best pitcher was actually going on on Saturday. And everybody at South Carolina was excited. I can tell you, Will Sanders is a guy that was was six and two coming in. I was really confident in this one because I think Bednar has just kind of found it. I, I think when he is even just good not even being great or elite. I think even when he's good, he's good enough to get us a win. And we did exactly what we needed to do. We come out there right out of the gate, right out of the gate, again, against their ace, and we knock him around the yard a little bit. We did a great job working in the middle of the field, too. I mean, really did a great job those first couple ball games. Rather than going up there and trying to yank it out of there with the wind blowing in, we just go up there and hit line drives. The next thing you know, it's finding green grass, and we're able to play some runs. First pitch of the ball game, Rowdy singles it, and then T.A. gets a triple, drives in Rowdy, and then uh, Luke Hancock hits that bomb out there, and it, and it was an absolute tank. Everybody in the stadium knew it was gone as soon as it left the bat. And so Bednar is up 3 nothing before he even toes the rubber. So great job by Jay Gotro kind of getting the team ready to go out there and attack. 
you're a lot of times you sit back and you're passive and you want to work counts and that kind of stuff. But I really felt like, you know, especially with a guy like Sanders, who's got a lot of ability and a lot of confidence, you're trying to go out there and even in a series, you knew he was going to come out there and try to set the tone. And we were prepared. I give Jake Gotro a lot of credit for that. Bednar gets a one, two, three inning. Cage decide in the first. We go right back in the second, go right back to work. Craziness again, two out rally. We, we get two Ks. The rowdy walks, and then TA gets an infield single, and then uh, they throw the ball away. And uh, on the um, pickoff, I guess it was, and then rowdy comes around and scores. So it's a four nothing ball game. And the way Bednar has been pitching as of late, I think we all felt like, you know what, we're in a good position here. We've already jumped out in front of them, and we're already kind of smothering them a little bit. Uh, top of third. You know, we got, pardon me, I'm jumping ahead of myself, getting all excited. Uh, bottom of second, we do give up one single in the inning, but he strikes out the side again. Uh, top of third, Tanner, uh, Logan Tanner hits a bomb to right center. It's a solo shot. Now it's a 5 nothing ball game. And those, 5 nothing felt like 10 nothing. I mean, it really did. I mean, and there was not much air in the stadium. The South Carolina fans are kind of sitting on their hands, and you could tell they were thinking, here we go again. And then Bednar goes one, two, three, strikes out two, and then gets a ground out to first to get out of that. Uh, top of four, we tack on another one. Rowdy Jordan hits the bomb, an absolute shell uh, to right field. Wandered off the bat if it might be foul. It wasn't. It stayed true. Made it a six-nothing ball game. And, again, it's just like let's just kind of get out of here. It seemed like there was a lot of ball game left. And then they come back and they get the solo home run. Eister, who has been really good for them, I really thought he might go pro a couple years ago. But uh, glad his career is almost over. That guy has had some hit, had some good games against the Mississippi State Bulldogs. But that's all they could muster in the fourth. And listen, I got no problem with our guy going out there challenging hitters with a 6 nothing lead. That's what you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to go up there and – and kind of nibble. You're supposed to go out there and attack and pound the zone, let the defense work for you. So we, they happen to get one up and get it out of there. We get the run back, right back there in the fifth. Logan Tanner with a single, and who had a great weekend. Then DeBrule walks. You got runners at first and second. And then Cumbus, who didn't have a great weekend. We won't hold that against Brad. He's been pretty solid as of late. Fouls out. And then Tanner Leggett singles up the middle and drives in a run. Makes it a 7-1 ball game. They make a pitch and change, and then we get a couple of walks late. And this is, again, one of those deals where you begin kind of look at it. We've got, you know, we got two outs. You're thinking, okay, let's just kind of get in the dugout. That's not what happens. Forsyth walks, turns the order over. Rowdy walks again, and there's T.A. again. T.A. drives in both runs, makes it a 9-1 game. And at this point, it was all academic from here. Bednar gets a 1-2-3 in and in the fifth. In the sixth, we tease it a little bit. We get a uh, – a leadoff walk, and then we get a two, a one-out single to put runners uh, on first and second, and then we ground into the double play there. And unfortunately, that was Crumbus there. Bottom of six, we get we give up a single, and then we get a K, and then we get a home run. It makes it a nine-to-three ball game. At this point, you could tell Bednar was starting to tire just a little bit. But again, it really felt like the game, for all intents and purposes, was over. That's kind of how it felt. Top of seven. We go one, two, three, but we hit a couple balls hard. We were still, you know, barreling up some balls. We just didn't have much to show for it. And we get into the seventh, and this is when things get a little bit crazy for us. And it really felt like we were going to get out of here. And this inning actually 
impacted the rest of the series. And we kind of, a lot of us kind of forecasted that. I think we all kind of felt that way when it happened because we had to end up using Landon Sims to close out a ball game. And so we get the ground out to shortstop for the first out. Then we get another ground out to, to short, and then Luke Hancock can't, can't make the catch. So it should be, you know, one of those deals where it's two outs quickly and, and uh, you know, Brandon Smith's just rolling there. And then we get the sack bunt. They move the guy around. And then what do you know again? It's a ground ball to short, and there's a throwing error. We airmail it there, and uh, Luke just couldn't get down on it. But that's kind of what happens. It's like that's the thing about baseball is there's just such this collective psyche among baseball players, and it seems like once one thing happens, you need somebody to kind of step in and settle everybody down. If not, it begins to kind of steamroll on you, and that's kind of what happened for us here in the inning. And the next thing you know, we give up a three-run bomb to Eister to make it a 9-6 game. And then it's a single, and we finally get out of the deal. But, you know, you, you go back to that, either one of those plays. You know, Luke Hancock will tell you he should have made that play. I think we all would, would agree with that. He should have made the play. Well, the next play, Lane Forsythe should have made the play. Either one of those plays are made, we're able to get out of this thing without any runs. And because of the fact that it was a 9-6 ball game and it got a little hairy late, we had to bring in Landon Sims. If he's available on Sunday in the ninth with a one-run lead – that's a win for us. And so this is, again, about managing the weekend. Now, I'm going to go ahead and defend the coach right here. I think in this situation, we had lost momentum in the ball game, And I don't think there's any question you had to bring in Landon Sims. you got to make sure you get the second win. You have to. You absolutely have to. And you only get a lot of times you only get to pitch him once a weekend. But if you don't pitch him here and the game gets away, the next thing you know, all the criticism is – Oh, well, why didn't we use them? And then if we use them and then save them for today, it ends up being, you know, kind of a, a mox next thing. But, you know, I just don't – I don't think you can kind of look at it and say, well, you know, we shouldn't have used them. I think at that moment in the ball game, we didn't have much of a choice. So, we go up in top of eight. Don't get much going there. We get a, a two-out single and then Hatcher's out stealing. Bottom of eight, we bring in uh, Landon Sims, and um, you know from there the game is pretty much over. You know I guess we had one walk in the uh, in the inning there, and then top of nine we have a chance to get some insurance. Uh, Logan Tanner opens up with a double, then we get a, a sack bunt to advance the runner to third, and we can't get a ball out of the infield after that. Just need to get a routine fly ball to get the run home. We don't do it there. We get a couple of K's. And those are the things, even in games like this that we win, you got to be able to get that run home. And at the very least, you got to be able to put a ball in play. We had a strikeout swinging and a strikeout looking. We've had a few strikeout lookings that I, I sometimes I just kind of wonder, you know, is this a, a matter of inexperience or, you know, are we thinking too much or whatever? But you got to be a good situational hitter and understand, okay, we got to put a ball in play here. The run's not going to score unless we put a ball in play, unless we get lucky enough to get a wild pitch. But and the bottom line is we win the ball game, we win the series. I think we all went to bed kind of cautiously optimistic about Sunday. Now, we knew that they had a couple of good bullpen, bullpen arms left because ordinarily they throw Brett Carey on uh, the same day as Jordan. That's what they do. They kind of pair those guys up together, and that's a pretty good combo, kind of like we do with, uh, you know, with Fristo and, and Hootie. 
and we saw Kerry today, and you saw exactly what he's about. But uh, they didn't burn those guys because they're you know sitting there like, why why do you throw them in a game where you've got a deficit? It's one thing if you throw them with a lead or in an even ball game, but you don't want to burn their one appearance on a weekend in a game where you've got a deficit. So it makes perfect sense that they hold them. So we get into Sunday, and we didn't get that big start. And I'll be honest with you, when that happened, I thought, hmm, this is a little different. And I understand, uh, you know, Tommy Farr is a guy they thought had Friday night stuff. He's had some tough luck, but he also has not pitched it exceptionally well at times. But we knew this guy was going to come out there and compete, you know. And that's the thing, too, when you got veteran guys like that, everybody kind of understands we got to go out there and get a, get a W. We can't just say, okay, well, this series is over. So we come out there in the first inning – and just really didn't do – you know, we put a couple balls in play, and I kept telling myself, you know, we're going to be okay. I mean, we're seeing the baseball well. We're hitting it pretty good. But we go one, two, three there in the first. And then we get them they, – that they, we work around a walk there. I thought Fristo actually would out, came out and competed pretty well today. And, uh, you know, one of his better outings in probably last month. So, top of the second – we, uh, we, we finally come in here and kind of put some balls in play. We get a fly out. We get the first single. Logan Tanner gets a single going the opposite way there. He did a good job kind of working backside. Then uh, DeBrew uh, grounds into a – should have been a double play. They couldn't turn it. He was a little bit too quick. They reviewed it. But, um, you know, we again, we, we, we kind of waste a runner there. And we wasted a lot on the day. They did too. But, uh, you know, we're the higher-ranked team. We're the team with a lot more to play for. And bottom of second, we give up, uh, you know, we give up a couple things here. We, you know, we hit Seidler with a pitch, and then we give up a wild pitch. They got a run in a scoring position. And then Wimmer K swinging, and then uh, Mendham hits the home run, puts him up 2 nothing. their first lead of the weekend. But I still feel like we're okay. It's like, you know, it's just two runs. We've got to avoid the big inning. As I told you guys on Friday, they're going to have some difficulty stringing things together without our help. And if you look at their their big innings over the weekend, it's when we played poor defensively or we issued free passes. Fortunately, we didn't do a whole lot of that on Friday and Saturday, but we did do some. That's what kind of left them back in the ball game on uh, Saturday. So top of the third, Kellum Clark hits the ball off the top of the wall. Nobody seemed to know in in the press box what the house rules were, what the uh, ground rules were there. The thing hit on top of the wall, but they uh, they ruled it a triple. And uh, But we are able to get that run home. And that's one of those things, too, you look at, you know, it would have been a shame to waste a inning opening triple. We don't. But we had an opportunity to have a bigger inning here. So Rowdy's hit by the pitch, and then they walk T.A. So we got bases loaded with less than two outs, and we get a sack fly and a ground out. So we do get the one run, but we had a chance again to kind of jump out there and get some separation. We're back in the ball game. I just still, I kind of felt like, you know what, we're okay here. We're, we're, we're down a run. We'll make that up. And eventually we did. Um, Fristo goes back, has a pretty good inning the second time. We do open up with a walk. Well, we get Eister swinging. I thought that was a really good sequence uh, for Jackson Fristo. We get the ground out. Runner goes to third. And then we get a little a little loose and fast here with, uh, with the strike zone. But it didn't help the fact that uh, Fristo was missing a spot. So we walk a couple and load the bases, and then we get the ground out from Wimmer. But, again, we're upset about us leaving the bases loaded in the top half. I'm sure they felt the same way 
South Carolina on the bench saying the same thing. It's like, hey, this kid's going to walk the ballpark if we let him. We just got to get the big hit. Well, they, they didn't get it there. So Tanner Allen opens the fourth with a single, and then again DeBrule hits a ground ball, and they, they force Tanner at second. Cumbus pops up, and then Kellum Clark rifled, I mean absolutely rips, a ball to left field, and you got runners at first and second. They walk four sides. we got the bases loaded again for the second consecutive inning, and then Rowdy strikes out. You know, again, that's the thing. You know, baseball is a weird game sometimes, but you like to think when you turn the order over and Forsyth did a couple that a couple times this weekend, kind of extended the inning to get the top of the order up. And in this situation, Rowdy didn't come through, so we lead the bases loaded again. Back-to-back innings, a chance for us to really make something happen, and we don't. We don't get that big hit like we got from Cam James uh, earlier in the weekend. Uh, bottom of four, Houston Harding comes in. Gets a ground out, gives up a single. Then there's a hit by pitch, and then we get a foul out and a line out, and we get out of the deal. And, again, wasn't a great inning, but any inning that we have that doesn't yield runs is one we can all feel pretty good about. So top of five, Tanner Allen comes out there and gets a 1-0 fastball and just blisters it over the fence to tie the ball game. And it kind of felt at that point, okay, we're going to win the game. We've kind of weathered the storm here. Uh, Fristo has gotten us through the order a couple times or a time and a half, and now Harding's on the mound. So we ought to be good. We'll string this thing together. I really was optimistic at this point once we tied it. But, again, we had a chance to do some more stuff here, and we don't. We get a one-out walk to Luke Hancock, and then Logan Tanner, again, singles to the backside over there. And now there's first and second. They walk to Brule on four pitches. So we got the bases loaded with one out. Three straight innings, we load the bases, and we don't. We only get the one run in. I mean, it's just it's insane, really. Cumbus fouls out. Cumbus does not have a good weekend, okay? And then Kellum Clark strikes out looking. And uh, the call might have been a little bit questionable, but I'll be honest with you, in that situation, you can't sit there and uh, leave it in the hands of the official, especially when you know there's already been some calls go against you. you got to go up there looking to swing the bat. And that's one of the things you learn. But, again, a missed opportunity for us. Bottom of five, Hoodie does a pretty good job here. We get a ground out to short. We give up a single to Clark. I think everybody was kind of okay with that. That guy is a monster. Then we walk Seitler again. And then this is when things get absolutely crazy. Now, I don't know everything that happened with Perry Costello. I don't. But something happened with Harding. I think there was some kind of warning about his motion. South Carolina was kind of complaining about the bouncing that he did. But here's the rule. He can bounce all he wants as long as he comes set, and he does it every time. You you can't alter your motion or your delivery to be deceptive to the runners. But, you know, he does that whole bouncing thing all the time. Then he comes set, and then he goes to the plate. And that's what kind of set it off. Next thing you know, Foxhall and – and Perry are, are kind of yelling at each other, and he's tossed. And then Lamonis goes out for an explanation. And, uh, of course, nobody is going to talk on the record about that, so we'll probably never really know the full story there. But Scott Foxhall's done. And I felt like this was a chance for us to kind of blow up. And I really thought that Houston Harding let his emotions get the better of him, but he dialed them back. We get the ground out, force a guy, and then we get a line out to short to get out of the inning. And it's a tie ball game. I think at this point we all feel like, okay, we're okay. We weathered that storm. Maybe this ejection will fire up uh, the Bulldogs. 
for a second it seemed like that it really did fire us up you know because we go right back out there and uh you know we're kind of ready to go it seemed like so we get into the sixth inning and uh Forsyth flies out hit the ball pretty well I think one of the things with Lane too is number one he's going to get bigger and stronger in the weight room but I think he kind of needs to realize that he's a doubles hitter you know he's not going to be a guy that's going to be routinely hitting jacks I know he's hit one this year but that's just not his game on the college level and then Rowdy hits an absolute tank to right field to give Mississippi State the lead, 3-2. And it really felt like the emotion had shifted. We had kind of weathered the storm with the Fox Hall ejection and all the craziness that went on uh, in the bottom of five. And now we've righted the ship. And they have not scored, you know, since that home run. And so I felt like we were in pretty good shape. I think you guys probably did too. We go back out there, and then we do exactly the things that you can't do. We bring Parker Stanett comes in, and you, we we did some things that usually get you beat. We walk Malone on four pitches, a guy that can't hit the baseball. Then we hit Khalil to make the first two runners on. So now you got the tying and go ahead runs on, and we issue a free pass there. Then the guy lays down an absolute perfect bunt. So now bases are loaded, nobody out. And at this point, I think we all expected the game to be no 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 worse than tied. But that's not what happens. We get a fly out to short center, and Rowdy comes up ready to roll. And they hold the runner, smart play. And then Stinnett gets a ground ball that sets up a 4-6-3. And then it really seemed at that point, it's like, again, we showed some toughness here. We weathered the storm. We still got the lead, despite the fact that Stinnett started the inning very, very rocky. He pitched himself into trouble and then out of trouble. But at the same time, too, it kind of felt like, you know what, we're kind of dancing with danger here. We needed to get some insurance. It never comes. Top of seven. We get a two-out single down the line from DeBrule, and that's really all we get to do. Braywin Skinner hit a ball pretty well, but um, lined right at the, the shortstop. And so the game is just kind of rolling along here. Uh, Stone Simmons comes in and just has a remarkable half inning. I mean, just outstanding. And strikes out the side and – there were a couple of swings that the guys missed by a foot or more. And how big is it for State to get him to come on? You know, that's a guy that could be another long reliever for us and uh, has really emerged here the last couple of outings and done a really good job. And I really thought this was his best – probably his best inning of the year and really needed at that point. I thought that was really kind of a stabilizing inning for us. And so now you're thinking, okay, they're down to six outs. We need to try to find a way to get something going here. Well, we don't. We go one, two, three in the eighth. And then we bring in some defensive replacements here, and we think we're okay here. We get a ground out to first, and we get a K looking. And then we have a chopper to third, and we throw the ball away, and then Allen walks. Now all of a sudden you got two guys on, and you bring in Preston Johnson who probably threw the best breaking ball he's had all year to get Eister. And that was the guy, you know, outside of Clark, Eister was the guy that I didn't want uh, in a batter's box. And it felt like, you know what, that's probably the ball game right there. I know he's a two-hole hitter. you still got to get three, four, five in the ninth. But Eister's a guy that has been so red hot for them. And I think striking him out was a real big momentum boost for us. And you begin to think, okay, we've got it. We survived. The sixth, we had an easy seventh. We get to the eighth, have a little bit of trouble, and pitch our way out of it. But one of the things that happens to us, you know, is like after the sixth inning, we just didn't do much on offense the rest of the ball game. 
we go to the ninth and we go one, two, three, two Ks. And then it always seems to happen like this in baseball. Uh, I, these numbers are approximate. But when the first guy in the ninth inning reaches, it's like 668% of the time he scores. I mean, it's math. And Burgess on a full count, and this is a guy too, we struggle to kind of finish him here. But we get the foul, it's a 2-1, it's a foul, it's a 2-2, and then we get behind again, and he gets a single. And it really kind of got them going, and then Clark comes up, and I'm thinking, okay, this kid's just going to walk us off. This is kind of how it felt. Well, we keep him in the ballpark, and he ends up just being kind of a driving left, a single through the left side there, runners at first and second. So you bring in Cam Tuller, and I really thought they were just going to bunt here. And lo and behold, they do. And he pops the bun up to Josh Hatcher, who was, you know, charging in on the play. And when those kind of things happen, you think, okay, well, maybe it's our day after all. Maybe the baseball guys are smiling on us. Didn't turn out to be the case. Uh, So they bring in the pinch hitter, Heinrich, who's a senior. And he goes, just one of those crazy things, he just kind of inside out a pitch. We're kind of shifted over there because he's a right-hander. And he kind of inside outs a pitch and gets it in between, you know, first and Josh Hatcher. And there's nothing Josh could have done. And it's it's a double. And uh, the tying run scores. And you just begin to think, okay, they're fixing to walk it off. We walk, mend them. And then we get uh, back-to-back Ks to get out of it. It was just, you know, Brandon Smith comes in, does a good job. We'll get, we get, gets us to the 10th. And, and then you think, okay, anything can happen now. Okay, we've survived another one of these little runs here. And if we'd had Landon Sims, we're probably already on the bus. You know, that goes again back to the team game and managing. Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y dot com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get... A three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members, and you can see who's kind of coming and going. You got that immigrated camera, too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You get keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You get fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking. Got that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight, camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient, it's safe, it's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y official.com 
forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy. E-U-F-Y. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Weekend. So we get to the tent, and uh, again, we get a chance to get something going here. It doesn't work out, but we get two outs, and then Skinner hits a double to left, so we got a runner in scoring position. They review about him going around first. I don't think he touched first, but there wasn't an angle to disprove it. And uh, credit South Carolina for kind of jumping on that. And then Kellum Clark hit an absolute tank to right field, but it's foul. And I think they had learned, you know, he tripled off top of the wall and he hit that rocket to left earlier. I thought they thought, you know what, we better not take our chances with this kid. So they intentionally walk him. And they get to Forsyth, and he strikes out swinging. In that situation, you're thinking, we just need Lane to get on base and turn the order over and let Rowdy make a play. We don't get the opportunity. Brandon goes out again there in the in the tenth. It does a good job for us. We get a ground out. And uh, they had the next one. He grounds it off Brandon's foot, and Tanner Leggett gets it and still nearly gets him at first base. It was a ridiculous play. They actually reviewed the call. Uh, he was safe, but I tell you, Tanner, I thought that was for sure over, and then Tanner just about makes the play there. It's been extra innings, it's even bigger. And then we uh, we have the ground ball to Josh, and Josh forces the runner at second, and then we get Clark looking. And I was thinking, I hope we never see this guy again. You know, I mean, I just it's just trouble, you know, if you, if you have to have him in the box. We get to the 11th, we get a one-out walk, and uh, – don't do anything with it. We get a K looking and a ground out, and that's this is where the defensive replacements kind of came back to haunt us a little bit. Because rather than have, you know, Cam James and Luke Hancock coming up, we got Tanner Leggett and Josh Hatcher. And it was going to take something special for us to, you know, to win the ball game with some of our, you know, challenged offensive players in there. And that's precisely what happened. We just couldn't do anything with it, couldn't move Tanner around. We get a ground out to start the 11th, and then that's at Heinrich kid again. He singles, and then next thing you know, there's a double to left, and the game is over. And, you know, they ran on the field, and a lot of people said, oh, they won the World Series. Listen, those guys are playing for their NCAA tournament lives. You know, two weeks ago, a lot of people thought they were going to have a chance to host. Then they get swept by Ole Miss and lose the series to us. And that's the last two things that will be on their resume. And so it's like if they had gotten swept back-to-back times, you'd begin to think, okay, well, is this team going in the tank? And we're not going to seed the field for a few more weeks. But, you know, they're still in contention, I guess, to host theoretically. Probably, you know, probably won't make the, the 20 when it's all said and done now. 
But when you're a team that's been in battle like them, and you know, people forget. I mean, they were 11 and four after the first five weekends. I think everybody kind of felt like, you know, what maybe South Carolina's back, and then they've gone in the tank. And so, yeah, getting a win against us or Ole Miss is huge. A win against us means more. And I'm not just throwing shade there, but because of the fact that State's expected to be a top eight national seed. And so that helps the RPI and the strength of schedule, everything. I mean, so South Carolina wins. Talk to Tanner Allen after the ball game. It's like, hey, you know what? We'd love to get the sweep, but I'm so happy with the way we're playing. We'll get ready for next week. And the thing that I'll say, too, we are getting better as a baseball team. We are absolutely getting better. We've been a good road team this year. You know, we go on the road and we take a series against LSU. We go on the road and we sweep Auburn. Uh, we go on the road and we get um, one game at Vanderbilt, which uh, we'd love to have gotten that Sunday game. Then we win the series of South Carolina, and then we'll go to Tuscaloosa at the end of the month. And so we're a pretty good road team. And those are the things that I look at. Those are the things, too, I think that kind of helps your your body of work when you when your case is reviewed before the selection committee. You said, hey, this is a team that is not just built for their own ballpark. This is a team that can go on the road and win games. And I think that really helps us with the look test. And so – we win two out of three, uh, and again, I'm, I'm like everybody else. You know, if we just make a couple plays on Saturday, we have Landon Sims today, and we close out a ball game, and it's a sweep, and we probably are in great shape to win the SEC, and uh, we're going to get to the standings a little bit later. But it just goes to show you how everything matters in a weekend. There are no insignificant plays. There are no throwaway plays. Everything matters. And then because of the fact that we messed up a couple of infield plays in that ball game, next thing you know, we give up a three-run bomb. You know, we could have thrown Preston Johnson or we could have thrown, uh, you know, uh, Cam Tuller or Brandon Smith could have gone the rest of the way, whatever. You know, because Brandon was rolling ground balls. It wasn't Brandon Smith's fault. He's getting the ground balls. We're just not making the plays behind him. But it, it would have been a completely different day-to-day. Now, we can sit here and cry over spilled milk. I'm not content to do that. I think we just kind of move forward because we've got a very favorable schedule. There's six SEC games left to play, and all the guys that we're in contention with, many of them are going to play head-to-head. So let's move along to today's top ten list brought to you by johnnypacker.com. And the fine folks at johnnypacker.com have given a promo code to Boneyard listeners to save a little money on some new sunglasses. Everybody needs new sunglasses. Many of you have to get them every year. And if you're not a person like me that has to have prescription sunglasses, you, maybe you've got great vision. You get some fashionable frames at a great price from some Mississippi State Bulldogs that have a great company. JohnnyPacker.com, most of the frames are all named after Mississippi towns. You get the, what is it, the Hollywood, the Hollywood style with some golden triangle flair. Go check them out today, JohnnyPacker.com, promo code BONEYARD. That'll save you 10% johnnypacker.com promo code boneyard who doesn't like some money off i mean it's a phrase that pays right johnny packer proud sponsor of the top 10 list so today's top 10 list uh requested by our uh, one of our great listeners robert robert reached out and said hey steve you've talked before about doing an rem list but you've never done one and i've had multiple people that have asked for it so we're going to do it today now i admit i was not a huge rem fan like when they first came out you know i was in the middle of uh you know, that was you know, the mid-80s for me, and uh, REM was just kind of kind of coming to prominence, and, and uh, it just wasn't my thing. And uh, I do have an appreciation for Michael Stipe as a writer, and uh, they've read some very meaningful songs. And I guess uh, maybe in the mid to early 90s, I, wrote, I really developed an appreciation for their music. But, again, I'm not a huge REM fan. I, don't, I can't remember the last time I 
you know, pulled up some REM stuff before I got this list together. So here's a top 10 list. Here's a couple of honorable mentions that didn't make the list. And it's a radio song, Shiny Happy People, and Radio Free Europe. I know some of you, when you hear that Radio Free Europe didn't make the list, you're going to cringe. But that's, uh, it's my list. So uh, number 10, and it's a song that almost makes me think a little bit of Johnny Cash, but it's Drive. Uh, number nine on the list is Orange Crush. I, li- I like the, the tempo on that one. It's a little different. Number eight was a huge hit for them, but it's Stand, Stand in the Place Where You Live. And the video was one of those things, too, with R.E.M. They became really big MTV stars, which is interesting because it kind of flew in the face of what they were initially, you know. But all of a sudden, they had some things kind of go their way with MTV, and then they were at mainstays on MTV. Number seven, uh, one of the best songs probably of that decade is Everybody Hurts. And it was something that's very relatable for a lot of people. And I know a lot of people think that's their, suggest that's their favorite REM song. I like some of the up-tempo stuff a lot more, but I, I think that it's one of those things you look at and uh, probably say that's probably the best ballad of the catalog. Number six, a song about Andy Kaufman. It's Man on the Moon. Again, that's a pretty clever one, too. Uh, again, a video hit on MTV. A lot of people enjoyed that one. Number five, a song that uh, has a really good guitar riff, opening guitar riff, and it's uh, Crushed with Eyeliner. And I really thought for a while that they might be kind of moving in a different direction sonically because that was kind of unlike anything else they had at the time. Number four, many of you probably have this as your number one. I, I don't but I could understand your logic behind it, but it's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. Number three, what's the frequency, Kenneth? I, I like the guitar on this one too, and maybe it's because it doesn't sound quite, maybe as deep, dark, alternative as some of the earlier stuff does, but I, again, I thought sonically it was a, a kind of a departure from what they had done, and, and I really dig the lyrics on this one. Number two, and I think many people consider this the signature song for R.E.M., and it's losing my religion. And uh, I love the fact they used the mandolin. I think they kind of ushered in a new era with that. But uh, losing my religion was one of those videos and songs that was everywhere when it was at its peak. And uh, I think everybody, whether they were an REM fan or not, really kind of dug the track. But for me, the number one is the one that started it all for me, really the first REM song that I heard. And while initially it didn't necessarily kind of pique my interest, you know, it's one of those things that you hear it and it's like it kind of stays with you because the rhythm is so cool, but it's uh, the one I love. This one goes out to the one I love. So that's my top ten list for today. I hope that you alternative rock guys, well, alternative rock can mean a lot of different things these days, but uh, you alternative fans, especially you guys from the late 80s, uh, early 90s, can appreciate the list. So we've got REM done. Hope you guys are satisfied with that. If you have ideas for the top 10 lists, reach out, let me know. I'm on all forms of social media, at Scout Steve R. I might just use your list. There's a lot of people that reach out that have already we've already done them, and I'm happy to send the list to you. And then you can kind of let me know where I was wrong, even though that I wasn't wrong. You're the one that's wrong because it's my list. You can have your own list, but it'll be wrong. But if you have ideas, reach out, let me know. And again, thanks to johnnypacker.com. Promo code BONEYARD to save 10% on your new sunglasses. All right, let's look around the SEC. This segment of the show brought to you by the fine folks at Campus Bookmart. 
Standing man, Miss Kathy Brown, lovely, talented Susie, everybody over there will treat you like family because in their mind you are family. Simple as that. They'll take care of you. They've got the latest Mississippi State merchandise available for you. Uh, you can find it online if you can't make it to town at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any orders less than $50, absolutely incomplete. Again, that's campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR, your one-stop shop for all Mississippi State merchandise. So, Looking around the SEC, it was a very eventful weekend. We got some help in some areas. We didn't get some in others. So let's look at the, the SEC standings first, then we'll kind of go through the weekend. Uh, currently tied for first place, Tennessee and Arkansas at 17-7, and seven, stayed a game back, 16-8. and eight. We're okay, okay? We're okay. Now, I know we would love to have been 17-7 and seven after today, would certainly made life a lot easier on us and give us a little room to work with. But we're okay being a game back because Arkansas and Tennessee play each other next week. We just need a split there, and we need to take care of business, and we've got a chance to take uh, at least a tie into the final weekend for first place. We just don't need either of those teams to sweep next weekend. We need Tennessee and Arkansas to split, and we need to get a sweep, which sets up uh, a pretty incredible weekend on the road in Tuscaloosa, give us a chance. Arkansas, of course, will be uh, hosting Florida. And I think Tennessee plays Kentucky. We'll double-check that later in the week. So, Tennessee, um, over the weekend, hosted Mizzou and uh, got the sweep there. And that's what we expected. I mean, Mizzou is just you know an awful team, but there have been times they've had just enough in the tank uh, to win a game from somebody, we've got to make sure that's not us. We don't want to be part of that deal because they're not going anywhere. They're not going to go to Hoover. We don't need them to spoil anybody's season. So Tennessee wins, sweeps their series. Uh, Florida takes two of three for Kentucky, and poor Kentucky was one pitch away from taking the series. It's a one-two count. They're one pitch away, and next thing you know, they lose on, uh, on Friday and then turn around and lose again on Saturday to lose the series. Uh, Vanderbilt and Alabama didn't get to play. They split the series one game to one, and then they didn't get to play on Sunday. So what that means, though, is the SEC regular season title is based on winning percentage. So that's one last game for them. And so let's say they end up with the same number of wins as the rest of us. Well, they would win outright because they would have the higher winning percentage by playing. They had one more games and a lesser number of opportunities. At the same time, too, it also prevents them from kind of keeping pace with everybody. And so, to be honest with you, we really need Vanderbilt to go to Ole Miss, and we need Ole Miss to take a game. It wouldn't, be, wouldn't hurt my feelings if Ole Miss took two, to be honest with you. But we need them to at least take a game. Uh, LSU and Auburn, it's, uh, it's kind of a wild ride, man, with this LSU team. Yeah, I never know what to expect from them. You know, it's like I, I really expected them to get hot, and they have not helped themselves in the least. It's insane to think about every opportunity that LSU has had. And I think we've just kind of reached the realization that LSU is just not nearly, nearly good at all. LSU wins the, the series, but, you know, they really needed them. They needed to find a way to, uh, to win all three. They don't. They win the Thursday game. They win uh, the Friday game and then uh, lose the Saturday game. And so, you know, Auburn's still trying to get in there and go to Hoover. 
try to extend the season, but um, didn't quite work out. Ole Miss and Texas A&M. Ole Miss has now lost five of six weekend series. They lose down at A&M. I told you guys I wasn't quite ready to pick A&M to win the series, but I thought they would take a game. And I thought Sunday would be a free-for-all. And then you have the Gunnar Hogman situation where he tries to pitch, can't go, they pull him, and they had to throw Diamond, which really kind of limited their options on Sunday, and they lose the Sunday game. I thought Sunday would be kind of a, a toss-up game, but it ends up being a series clincher for A&M. That is a huge, huge, huge loss for Ole Miss. It's one of those things, too, you begin to kind of you know scratch your head a little bit you know, will Ole Miss make the 20? Yeah, I think so. Will they make the 16? I don't know. I don't know about that. You know, because I don't, I don't think they're done losing baseball games. That's the thing you look at. They, 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 got, they host Vanderbilt and then go to Georgia. You know, and Georgia, of course, uh, you know, help us out a little bit getting a win against Arkansas. But, you know, if you're Ole Miss, you're probably thinking, okay, you're probably going to lose at least two, maybe three more games and so that means you're going to lose on the series. And so if you've lost six of eight SEC series, you know, how can you really go out there and say, well, we deserve to host? I just don't think that happens. I mean, I don't, I don't think – I think Ole Miss is really on the hosting bubble. I think they're really, really needing to get some wins. And uh, so that's the thing. The way, you, the way the traffic is looking right now for us is we simply – if State wins five of the last six, I think we win – at least a share of the SEC title. If we win all six, I think we win the SEC title. Is that possible? Yes. Is it probable? I don't know. I know we need to take care of business this week and then kind of see how the chips fall around the country, you know, around the rest of the conference. Those are the things you look at. The fact that so many of these teams that we're in contention with are going to play head-to-head, they're going to beat each other up, and we have the more favorable schedule. And, uh, you know, perhaps that's a break for us. A lot of these teams, too, people forget – you know, we played the meat of our schedule, and you know, in, in uh, you know late April, early May, and so we hadn't had a chance to beat up on some of these teams. You know, I guess Auburn, of course, is a team that uh, we've been able to kind of uh, stretch our legs against a little bit, but we hadn't had the benefit of playing Missouri. We hadn't had the benefit of playing Alabama, even though Alabama's playing better. And I, and I, I agree with uh, some other college baseball insiders. I think they're probably a year away from being a really good team, but it's uh, it's going to be. A real possibility for us. And I even talked to Ron Polk about that after the ball game today. We still got a chance to win the whole thing. We got a chance to win the NFL championship. We have a chance to win the SEC. Uh, so let's kind of look ahead to the weekend. I'm not going to preview the weekend, obviously, this early. But, uh, you know, we start playing baseball on Thursday. We're the only Thursday, Friday, Saturday series. And so that's a good thing for us. We can kind of get out there early and, and uh, kind of watch the traffic clear and get a little extra rest. And that's another reason why I think it was important for – you know, Christian and Bednar pitch as well as they did and be as efficient with pitches because, of the fact, they're going to go on one day's less rest this week. And you kind of thank goodness it's Missouri, right? It would be one thing if we're having to go play, you know, a, a team that's in contention that's still hungry with one less day rest for our pitchers. But looking at the, uh, the weekend, Arkansas will be at Tennessee. Georgia will be at Florida. South Carolina at Kentucky. Vanderbilt at Ole Miss. A&M at Auburn. Mizzou, of course, with us, Alabama at LSU. Yeah, I, I think really if you look at this schedule, you know, the one team you look at and say, okay, that's definitely going to be a sweep is us and Mizzou. That's the one I think you're probably most likely to get a sweep out of. I think the rest of those series right now I would say are going to be splits. 
I'm not exactly sure just yet which way I lean uh, towards that, you know, who wins the series. But if we get everybody to get a split, we're going to pick up at least a game on everybody and some teams too. And so Mississippi State just needs to keep winning and everybody around us will beat each other up and a lot of traffic to clear for us. It's an important part of this thing. And listen, let's be honest with you. You know, the SEC title isn't the goal for us. The national championship is the goal. We've won the SEC title before. We'd love to win it again, but it, that's not the end goal for us. We're not just going to say, okay, hey, it's great. Yeah, we're SEC champs, and then everything else will be gravy. No, we're trying to get, you know, a top eight national seed, but also, too, you know, be in the top four. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know. I really don't know how much it really matters because everybody in Omaha is going to be just legit. And there's not going to be, you know, like a one versus 16. I mean, you're going to get a team that has won regionals and super regionals, and everybody's going to have at least two good pitchers. And so once we get there, you know, we, we got to make hay. But I also think, too, because I said on the show before, it's there's no dominant team in college baseball. So there's no team you look at on in the bracket and say, I really want to avoid that team. And sure, I'd like – I don't know if I want to play Arkansas until we play in the, the championship. I'd love to be able to play those guys in a championship. If we get them in a regional – we're not going to play them three times. And maybe you only got to beat them once if you get them in the, uh, the 14 bracket, not the regional. I'm sorry. But you, if, they, if they're on our side of the bracket, you may only have to beat them once. Whereas if you get them in a championship series, you got to beat them twice. And I know a lot of people say, oh, Steve, you know, that big ballpark thing doesn't mean anything. There's not a, there's not a college ballpark in the country that plays bigger than Ameritrade. And the winds don't blow out at Omaha in the summer. It just doesn't work that way. It's difficult to get a ball out of there. Some people do it, but it's not like it is nowadays, you know, in a regular season. It's going to be a much different ballpark. I don't know if the air sticker out there or whatever, but it just it doesn't – it's not a home run park. And and so I, I think that we would actually have a pretty good shot against those guys. And I think our kids want to play them again. I think they do. But right now they got to get ready to go play Tennessee Martin on Tuesday and then turn around and play Mizzou Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. All right, let's uh, talk a little recruiting before we get out of here. It's going to be a little bit of a shorter show because I'm going to try to get to bed. And uh, so none of you guys text or call me in the morning. It's already the morning here. But don't call me and say, hey, Steve, what do you think about South Carolina? It's already on the show. And don't text me. I'm going to try to get a few hours sleep, and I'll get back up, and we'll get at it again. Uh, this segment of recruiting brought to you by Portico. Portico, uh, great, great, great residential development here in Starkville. Absolutely wonderful. Brooks Bryant's one of the developers. You guys know Brooks. Brooks is one of those great guys, man, that loves Starkville, loves Mississippi State. And I'm a firm believer that uh, we should always do business with Bulldogs when we can. We should support each other. I think that's a big part of things. And so Brooks is trying to bring something great to Starkville, this residential development out there. And it's right off Garrett Road. If you're not familiar where that is, when you come off of 82 and you get on 12 like going towards campus it's the very first right very first right easy to get to easy to get to campus easy access everywhere it's just over a mile away from campus you could even run up there if you wanted to those are the things i think people kind of you know the people that are physically fit those are the things you kind of think about how cool would it be to run a mile to warm up and then go run around campus and then run home really cool thing they got the walking trail. They got a pavilion there, at portico. It's, it's everything you need. And it's, listen, a house for every size family, whether it be an investment property for you, a second home or your primary residence, 
You can get a home up to 1,300 to 2,000 square feet, two bedroom, two bath, four bedroom, four bath. Going to be 51 houses total in this development. Phase one, just about gone. So if you're looking to move to Starville in the immediate future, you need to make a phone call today. If you're looking to maybe do it here in the uh, next few months, maybe you've got a little time. The person that would know is Brooks Bryan. Call him today at 601-416-8075, 601-416-8075. And you know what? Maybe if you're a little bit shy, text him. I text him a number all the time. He'll respond. Say, hey, listen, I heard about this great residential development that you were part of in Stargold, and I'm interested. Call me at your leisure. Or maybe you don't have time to talk during the day, but you're listening to the show right now and said, hey, Brooks, maybe give me a call after three today. Love to talk to you, get a little information about Portico. Make Portico your next move. Okay, so over the weekend, we picked up a commitment from Washington State wide receiver transfer, Jameer Calvin. Not unexpected. We've talked about him on the show a little bit, but good to get that done. Now, he will count towards the 2021 class. You know, we saved two scholarships to work the portal. Hoping to get two DBs. It doesn't look like we're going to be able to find two quality DBs. So we spend uh, one of these grants on an inside receiver. And with Javante Payton leaving, makes perfect sense, right? So here are the numbers uh, for Jameer Calvin. Of course, 2020, an abbreviated season for them. 17 catches, 183 yards, and one touchdown. Uh, Back in 2018, which was the Mike Leach year, 42 catches, 497 yards, a touchdown, and then uh, comparable numbers there in 17. Uh, he is arguably one of the fastest receivers on the Washington State roster, and we could use some of that. I don't expect him to come in and start. I do think the fact that we play so many receivers means that he will be in the rotation and be very, very a healthy part of the rotation. But it's one of those things, too, where – the fact that he has a working knowledge of the offense, you know, he can kind of hit the ground running and kind of help us kind of develop as a team. He also has two years of eligibility remaining. So that's a cool thing too. So we'll see how that develops, but glad to get him in. And then we'll see what happens with Darius Knight. And, of course, we expect that decision to come sooner rather than later too. You know, these guys got to start making some plans. So the newcomers are going to report May 27th, and they'll be a part of that group. And so – uh, you know, these spots are going to fill up pretty quick. And then people say, well, Steve, what about our, our two blue shirts? Well, those guys will sign after fall camp begins, but both of them will still expect to enroll this summer. And then they go on athletic aid in August. So that's how that's going to work. And then you'll have two less spots to, to work with uh, for signing day for 2022. And, you know, listen, the Hargrove thing makes a lot of sense to me. And I, I would always say, too, is like when you start having to get creative at the end of the recruiting process, I think it's like there's going to be guys this year that you want. You know what I'm saying? There's going to be guys, oh, if we had room to take them, but our numbers are tight because we kind of got creative at the end of the process, you know, last year. And so unless it's a real difference maker, and I think Hargrove could be, you know, when you have a guy to kind of fall to, you have to get creative, but it's not always the case. Just not always the case. Okay, so I want to let you guys know, too, there is uh, a couple other recruiting things that we're, we're watching. I think you can take offensive lineman Carter Edwards off your radar. I don't, I, don't, I don't look for Mississippi State to continue to recruit him. I think he was one of those guys that was probably on the clock a little bit, and there are some other guys out there like Matt Craycraft that are comparable or maybe even a little bit better in ability. 
He's a little more receptive right now. I mean, think Carter looked to be trending really to, to commit to Mississippi State. I do think he's a good player. I do think he's a good young man. I just don't think it's going to work out for us and him. And so he'll go his way. We'll go ours. And, uh, you know, we'll still speak to each other in a grocery store. We just won't you know, be teammates, right? I mean, so – uh, I got nothing bad to say about Carter Edwards. I mean, I really wanted him to be a Bulldog for a long time, but uh, you know, he's decided perhaps that that's not the right fit for him. And I think Mississippi State's now casting their nets in some other waters. And that's how the process works. It's not always anything personal. But it is always difficult to get an old Miss kid to come to Mississippi State, right? I mean, especially when you've got a family that's as rabid as theirs. And listen, I, listen, I had some messages from his dad, and I do believe they gave Mississippi State a, a genuine look. And perhaps he just, you know, maybe Boulder, Colorado is a better place for him. And that's okay. Sometimes they just like the other guys more. It's not always somebody's fault. So, wish Carter Edwards the best, and uh, we'll go find some other offensive linemen. Uh, one of the things, too, I don't know we've talked about on the show much, but, you know, Gabe Cavazos is expected to rejoin the team May 27th. Now, there are some people that are worried about how he'll be received in the locker room, and I'm told it's not going to be an issue. You know, there'll be some guys like Cam Jones and people like that that will razz him a little bit. But, uh, you know, he'll come in with Cannon Boone, so they'll be able to pal around a little bit together. And, and to be fair, I don't know that Gabe probably should have graduated early. You know what I'm saying? It's like sometimes, you know, some kids, like, they're going to hit the ground running. There's a, there is a, you know, there's a maturity aspect of this, you know, where, you know, they're ready to go. I think Gabe was one of those guys, too. I mean, he's one of the first people in his family to go to college, if not the first. And that can be a little bit intimidating because you think, okay, well, you know, my mom and dad didn't have to go, and they made it. Look at what they're doing. You know, of course, you always want better for your kids. But I think Gabe is one of those guys who's kind of had to figure this thing out, you know, is how much does he love football? Does he miss football? And that's one of the first things I was told when he decided to come back that he said is, hey, Coach, I miss football. I miss football. And so Mike Leach has said multiple times, that, you know, we need guys. We want guys that need football. And Gabe Cavazos is one of those people. Gabe needs football. And I think now that he's been removed from it a little while, he realizes what it really means to him in his life. So I'm eager to get him back. I am not the least bit concerned about the Bulldogs not receiving him well. I think that it's going to be just a blip on the radar. I mean, it really is. So it's just going to be just like another new, another new kid coming in. It's not going to be a situation where he's ostracized and guys don't think they can trust him. Uh, these guys who play football, it's not, you know, it's not like it is in the movies. You know, these guys want to win. And so if there's somebody that can kind of aid in that effort, they love them. And so Gabe's got to earn their respect, but that was going to be the case anyway. And so I'm not worried about Gabe uh, when it comes to the locker room. You know, I mind my hope is, is this little bout of homesickness is behind him. And, and listen, to be, let's just be brutally honest here. It's time to grow up a little bit, okay? It's time to grow up a little bit. You can't stay home and, and be with mom and dad and, you know, just you know, date your high school girlfriend and kind of hope for the best that somebody's going to discover you one day. Uh, when you have the opportunity to go play football in the Southeastern Conference. You know, FaceTime is a wonderful thing, you know, and it's not like that he's leaving to go play in Hawaii. I mean, you're just down the road from Lake Cormorant, you know, and so I, I like Gabe. I think Gabe's a fine young man, and I think he's going to make a fine lineman at offensive, offensive line at Mississippi State. So I look forward to that kind of happening, taking place. And I think that gives you a little freedom. I think when you look at the way the Decarious Clayton thing is working out, I think Gabe kind of gives you the ability to tell Jacarius Clayton, who's an offensive lineman commitment from Tupelo, to say, hey, you know what, hey, you want to play defensive line? Cool. We'll do that. I think before Gabe's situation was settled, I think he kind of had to say, hey, listen, we really need you on the O-line. I still think ultimately he's going to be an offensive lineman. 
But if he thinks he's a defensive lineman, then let him go play it. Let him go give it a shot. Let him go work out. And that's the first fall, you know, probably a redshirt year anyway. And so let him get out there and see what he can do. And it's, it's a lot easier to go find offensive linemen than it is to go get a true three technique or something like that. And so I'm perfectly okay with that, and I think everybody else is too. It's nice to have options. When you recruit guys that are so athletic – that they can play either side of the line and you can kind of plug them in where you have a team need. I mean, just like John Banks. I mean, you know, when John Banks got here, he could play multiple positions. But we needed him at corner. Well, excuse me, we needed him at safety. So we put him at safety. Then we put him at corner. We even lined him up at receiver a couple times, right? I mean, so it's one of those things you look at when you've got guys that are just, you know, exceptionally skilled and exceptionally athletic they have some versatility that kind of makes your recruiting class and your roster a little easier to deal with. You know I mean? It's easier to kind of put guys in when you've got guys that you can move around. You know, you can accommodate them. And so I think Jacarius Clayton will be fine there. But I think, you know, State's going to take uh, three more offensive linemen. And uh, Clayton, of course, an OLDL right now. We'll just kind of see how he develops. And I think it's a good thing, too, to kind of have the luxury to allow him to develop and not really push him into one one side or the other. You know, I mean, it's like, you know what, you can do both. You can get out there and play D-line, and you know what, when we get into ball practices, you can go play O-line. See which one you like better. See where you help the team the most. And the thing that I've always heard about Clayton is that that's what he – he just wants to help Mississippi State. He loves Mississippi State, just wants an opportunity to play D-line. And if it doesn't work out, he's happy to go play O-line. Those are the kids you win with. Not just because of the fact that he's versatile, but he's a team-first guy. And so that makes me like him even more, right? And so I think a lot of our other offensive line prospects can come from out of state. I think everybody just needs to kind of get prepared for that. Uh, but, I, you know, we had a really good offensive line class last year. I wouldn't say it's great. I like the fact that we had so many early enrollee guys. But, uh, you know, many of those guys are going to have need some time to develop. But I think the potential is very, very good within the group. I, I would say it's a really good group, not a great group. A couple of years ago, I thought we signed a great group, and then uh, Nick Penley's gone. You know, and I had high hopes for Nick Penley. I think Charles Cross is a guy that's still going to play football for a long time. I even see some mock drafts right now that have him in the first round this year. And here our fans tell it, he's not ready. But the main thing he's got to do is get bigger and stronger. You know, there's a couple of guys. Sam Williams is a guy that bull rushed him and really kind of made him look a little bit, you know, light in the loafers a little bit. So, you know, we've got to make sure that we're out there you know, getting bigger and faster and stronger and being able to kind of handle the bull rush out there. He's real quick and he does a good job out there when guys try to use the, you know, the, the rip move and get out, you know, kind of outflank him and get to the quarterback. He does a really good job moving his feet and extending his arms to kind of preventing that from happening. But, you know, sometimes you got to go line up on a guy that's a five technique and blow him off the football or he's going to blow you off football. And so that's where I think Charles needs some development. But uh, I, I like our group. And Mike Leach said himself he thought that was one of our most improved groups of the spring. And so I think because of the fact you've got these young guys and these junior college transfers coming in that are acclimating well, I think that gives you the ability to kind of be a little more selective with this group that's coming in. You don't have to say, okay, well, listen, we've got an immediate need. We've got to go get a JUCO guy. Uh, you know, there's still, you know, obviously Peyton McKinnon's a guy from Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College, I think is a real option for state. Maybe he's a guy that we end up taking a little bit later. Uh, possibility we could have taken him in summer, but that didn't work out. But uh, I like him, and I think that he's a guy, because of the fact that he'll still have three years of eligibility remaining, it's almost like getting a transfer. 
So we'll see how he develops, and we'll see you know kind of what happens between he and Mississippi State. But I, I I think that there are some things that need to happen for him to be in the class. But I don't think it's a situation where you know it's not an impossible situation whatsoever. But I like these offensive line guys that we're on. I think we just got to get the right ones. I mean, you know, you get Case and Henry. I think you're, you're you're great. I think you're happy about that. You get Matt Craycraft. I think you're great. You got Maurice Clipper coming in for, for Big Dog Camp. You know. So there are a lot of – I guess we're probably on about a dozen kids for those last three spots. And I think we all probably feel, you know, we'll get three quality guys from that dozen. Remind you guys, too, I got a new book coming out June 7th. And uh, happy to say Lemuria Books and Jackson is going to be carrying the book. And here's the thing, too, that uh, I want to share with you guys, too. So I'm a big proponent of independent bookstores and not just – the ones in my state, the ones in your state. And so if you want to get Blooms of Oleander through your local bookstore, you can do that. You can tell them it's the book is available through Ingram, and they will know what that means. They can go to Ingram, and they can pull it up, and it's in there. You can get the hardback, or you can get the paperback. I would encourage you to get the hardback. But your local bookstore can order that book for you. It's, they can go pre-order it today. And so rather than kind of wait around and listen, I know many of you are big Amazon people and the book will be available on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. But if you would prefer to buy the book through your favorite local bookstore, let me encourage you to do that. Again, that's Blooms of Oleander by yours truly and tell them to order through Ingram. They'll know what that means. You don't have to explain to them, say, hey, this is the book we want to get and Ingram is carrying it. So they'll be able to order it, and then you can have it right there at your local bookstore rather than having to go get it online or something like that or, you know, or having to you know, order from some faraway place. I mean, you can, get, you can give the business to a local business. And, you know, I'm a big proponent of doing business with local people, especially independent restaurants and bookstores. And, and listen, in Mississippi, we're so blessed to have these great independent bookstores. I told you guys before, I mean, even if Square Books has not carried my books, uh, they do a tremendous job. Lemuria Books in Jackson, uh, I think, is Mississippi's bookstore. John Evans is a prince of a man and uh, has been absolutely wonderful to me. And uh, we traded some emails this past week, and I'm, I'm excited to, to kind of gear up and go do it again with John. And, you know, hopefully we'll be able to do some book signings this year. I know last year they were kind of restrictive and all that. And Miss Carolyn Abadie downtown at Book Martin Cafe, we're going to do a book launch party in Starkville once blooms of oleander is available so you can look for those details i'll share them on facebook i'll share them on the show so if you want to come out as soon as the book is available come downtown and you can get your book signed get a picture made we'll have a good time we'll do you know some we'll read some stuff we'll answer some questions and we'll make it a good time and uh, one of the reasons that i do the book launches in starkville number one uh, is just because of the fact that it's convenient but number two I'm a firm believer in supporting Starkville. Now, it would be easy for me to go on the road and say, let's do this. We're going to do a book signing here and there. But I believe in supporting our local people. And when I did all my book signings this past year for, uh, for Alpha Dogs, we didn't do any out-of-state signings. And one of the reasons why is because I wanted to, do is, I wanted to help our, our vendors in Mississippi because they had taken a real beating during the quarantine. And so did our best to take care of them. And, and uh, Miss Carolyn Abadie has been so special to me at Book Martin Cafe. And I don't know that I have better friends in the literary community than Miss Carolyn and John Evans. And so uh, I do my best to take care of them whenever I can. So, again, if you want Blooms of Oleander, you can get it 
through Miss Carolyn or Lemuria, or you can go to your local bookstore. Again, Blooms of Oleander through Ingram. If you got questions, message me. Let me know. I'll direct you to the right people. That's going to do it for today, and it's uh, about 4.35, so it'll probably be around noon before I get up, but you know, if I know my dogs, I'll probably be up before then. But I just wanted to make sure you guys get what you expect from me, because here's the deal. If the shoe was on the other foot, and I was used to listening to your show, and you went to South Carolina, I would be eager to hear you talk about it, but I wouldn't want to have to wait for it, even though I would say, you know what, I understand but, you know, you guys have an expectation of me, and uh, I'm proud to deliver for you guys, but uh, I, I had every intention of getting home, no matter what time I got home and recording this show for you guys, and it turns out it's going to be an hour and 20 minutes anyway. So if you're looking for my other books, let me encourage you to go to Alpha. So let me get you guys, if, you, if you're looking for Alpha Dogs, the book, or Flim Flam or Start Villains, go to alphadogsbook.com. You can get personalized copies right then and there. If you're looking for Stark Villains gear, go to StarkVillains.com. All sizes and colors available. Hopefully we didn't have a little bump in the road here at the end of the show. I hit the wrong button. But uh, listen, we'll see you guys on Wednesday, and I'll be on the JeansPage.com message boards later today after I get a little rest. See you guys then. But until next time, let's all live our lives, and a way we'll make more friends than enemies, and people can see a difference in the way we live. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.